right. Hi, Hi Stacy. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. So this is take two, episode five of the Live Good, Live Well podcast. We have on Stacy from Minnesota, a life coach that focuses on mainly parenting, helping other parents. So Stacy, would you like to give a bit more introduction about yourself? Yeah. Hi. Um, I am a, a parent. I call myself a parent coach or a life coach. I'm a mom to and stepmom to five kids. Um, uh, what else can I tell you? Married, have a dog. I'm a dog mom. Yeah, that's fantastic. Dogs are the best. <laughs> they are. <laughs> how many of the five are yours, and how many of the five are your your husband's? Um, two are mine. Uh, I have a twenty and a twenty-one year old, and three are my husband's. Twenty. 17 and 14. Three boys and two girls. Wow. Quite the blend. Almost the Brady Bunch. Almost. <laughs> if we have the dog, we are. <laughs> That's awesome. So how did you become a parent coach? Let's start there. What led you to wanting to help other parents with their parenting skills and relationships, etc.? Oh, um, you know, I think... A lot of it came from my experience, actually, as a single parent. Um, uh, I was married to my boy's dad just for a couple of years. Um, Both of the kids were actually born before we were married. Um, But I spent about 10 years as a single parent. Um, And it was through that experience and through the diagnosis of attention deficit of both of my boys um, and, and just trying to navigate the school system, trying to navigate, um, you know, the right tools and techniques and, and doctors and, you know, just finding other parents out there, um, that might be able to, you know, somewhat associate to what I was going through, whether it was single parenting or or just kids with, you know, alternative learning styles um, and, and then becoming a step parent of my own. I, I think it was through just that process that um, I became really um, in tune with wanting to help others and, and seeing how many others are out there, you know, very much like me that just want something different. That's amazing. What is your approach with um, pulling from your own experience and, and helping other people? And secondarily, second follow-up question to that, how do you um, go about either finding clients or how do they find you? Um, all right. So first approach, um, gosh, um, I, I guess if anything, I've I've had I've learned a lot as just as being a parent, um, and I think part of that that I've learned is while sometimes there feels like there is no other way, there is always a way, um, and so helping my clients understand that um, there are other ways, um, even if it feels like you've tried everything, sometimes a new perspective 
and or even taking things that have worked well and refining them um, can be all that it takes just to get to that next step, just to get to a different phase or kind of a just something different, something different in their life that they're looking for. Sure. Do you have a specific example to bring that into reality for people? Um, sure. So let's take, let's take, um, you know, especially with kids, um, each kid seems to do something a little differently. And even though we think that there may have been one example or one situation that worked well for one, it may not work as well for another. So for example, let's even say curfew. So kids are a little bit older, you know, now they have more privileges and and curfew is one of them. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, with a couple of the kids, they were great. They, um, They managed curfew really well, but other than reminding them what time curfew was, they were never late. Um, for others, it, it became a huge problem in, in curfew, not in that they were 10 and 15 minutes late, you know, cause you kind of choose your battles, but they were really late. They would, they wouldn't call, um, just to the point in which you assume that they're disrespectful. So trying to find a different way to help them understand that. You know, they may want to do what they want to do, but they are impacting others. So just trying to come up with a, a new method that helps them understand that, um, yeah, they may want to do things that are meaningful to them, um, but that doesn't mean that they can't communicate with others. Um, so we had one, one of our um, sons who had a girlfriend that, you know, never wanted him to leave. And so he was always late. So it it, it took some time to come to kind of an agreement on what and how we would manage him differently than the others to get him to understand that he still has a responsibility to us, even though he may want to hang out with his girlfriend, even though she may not have a curfew, he does. So it was really about trying to kind of get in his little mind to help him understand that there still is something in it for him, even though it may not look like it. Um, so not, not the ideal example, but you know, it's um, it was really about trying to help him understand how we all impact everyone else. And we are still, you know, there and, and helping him and, and um, wanting to be his advocate but with that he still has some responsibilities absolutely and I think that's a very relatable topic and example especially with teenagers that's typically when the curfew rule comes into play uh, when kids get to be a bit more independent and going out on their own um, getting a bit more responsibility in general Um, that's something that that I personally struggled with as a teen not because I was out um, doing anything quote-unquote bad I was the one that was getting my own friends home safely or mm-hmm. making sure that they were home and so for that I often missed my own curfew which got me in trouble um, but you know it wasn't um, it wasn't really negotiable uh, with my parents based on how 
um, my older siblings manage their curfews. So I, I kind of took the punishment from, from their behavior, even though I, I literally was not doing anything that that would ever get me in trouble or, or even close to that. So um, I think that's good that um, you see the difference and you try to communicate in a different way to him to make him or to help him understand that it's still a rule. There's still consequences and boundaries and it, it impacts other people. Um, that's generally why rules are in place is because they an action impacts somebody else. Uh, so I think that's that's definitely something that probably a lot of parents struggle with. Um, and, you know, it, de- it depends on the kid. It depends on the situation, the circumstance. And now we have technology and we, you know, most teenagers have cell phones and it's easy to text or call and say, hey, I'm going to be five minutes late or 20 minutes late or whatever the case is. But if that's not happening, then there's usually a reason, whether it's a feeling of guilt because... You know, it's not their decision. They're, they're trying to please somebody at the expense of somebody else and, you know, all of those things. So I think a lot of factors go into play for this very simple rule, you know, be home at 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, whatever the case is. Right. Um, so I, th- I do think that's very extremely relatable to, to a lot of parents. Yeah. And, you know, you bring up a good point when you're doing something at the kind of at the I don't want to say mercy because it's a little strong, but you're doing, you know, to help others and then you, you know, take the hit for it as, as part of it. It certainly takes a different mindset as a parent to think, okay, I'm raising my kid to do the right things and now I'm punishing them to do the right things. And it's such a different mindset, um, I think, than certainly what I was raised um, to do or to be, and not so much, you know, doing the right things, but regardless of doing the right things, you should always be committed to this deadline. So it's a very different mindset than I know what I grew up with. Absolutely. What are some things that you have brought from your, um, the way that your parents raise you into how you're raising your own kids? I would say the biggest is consistency. Um, while raising, while being raised, <laughs> it was really about rules and consistency. Um, but I think what has been the most useful for me in raising my kids, and even um, you know bringing my stepkids into the fold, has been consistency. There is this this thought at a minimum they know what to expect from me. Um, be it, you know, even even as simple as we do our chores every other weekend. Um, to uh, they know they know when certain things happen that there is it, those little things that they may do. I will go um, out of my way to make sure that I let them know how much they're appreciated. To um, even you know, when they come home at night and we sit down and, and we try to have dinner together, even a, a couple of days a week, they know that those couple of days a week are part of our consistency and part of our routine, even as chaotic as it can be. So I think those things have been really helpful. It at least gives them some perspective on what to expect. Yeah, that's, that's an amazing point, dinner together. So that's something that seems to be almost a lost art with a lot of families because 
and I can't imagine scheduling around five kids, especially in the teenage to young adult phase, because everybody has so much going on. Um, so dinner together seems to have been, it's like, it seems like it's this old tradition that is kind of lost now. How do you manage that? And how do you, how do you work in the logistics of saying, okay, on Tuesday night, everyone be home for dinner or, you know, whatever night it is. How do you, how does that, how do you make that happen? You know, admittedly, Beth, I think it was actually a lot easier when the boys were around. Um, because if you're making a meal for two, you might as well make it for five. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would have to admit, there were there were probably a lot more meals made when the boys were around. Um, but now f- I think the girls, now that it's just the girls at home, they they remember that and they see that and so they request it actually um whereas they hated it before they hated when we all had to sit down for dinner they hated that that structure um so it's i think with their help and then still with my desire to want that connection time I, i think the combination of those two things have helped us keep that tradition alive what changed for them what changed from them hating it to them asking for it you know that's a great question and i've never asked them um i do i do think um because um just now uh, having a full-time job and then coaching for me coaching on the nights and weekends i'm so much more busy that we actually don't get a lot of time together and i think that they enjoy that um they and en- they enjoy imparting their own wisdom um on us and i think you know now that i'm thinking out loud about this with you that it might likely be that there was so much wisdom imparted when all seven of us were together Mm -hmm. that, you know, the youngest didn't get as much attention. And now there is more individualized attention when, when we have these, you know, small family gatherings. That's a very important uh, point. Do you, what, what sort of rules, like, do you have like a no phones rule for the dinner table? Yes. Yep. That's amazing. It's so hard to, to simply put our phones down, even for adults. Uh, it, it's something that um, I come into um, to Tosca and, relation, and Trevor's relationship, and I have all these ideas of my own of how things should be or how I want them to be. And I've had to learn to, to blend myself into their way of doing things and their kind of their routines and their approaches to things. And uh, one thing I, I struggle to really compromise on is screen time and it's something that she and I have compromised on uh, we've you know given him an hour of day um, he can earn more if he cleans his room and things like that but um, simply putting the phone down to eat is something that um, I want to teach him because eating uh, and this goes into a, a much different set of topics but it's such a mindful activity for me 
and I want him to to develop an, an appreciation for his food and appreciation for conversation and things like that. And so it's um it's such a, a passionate topic, you know, screen time, like even for adults, if we go out to dinner, um, to say an adult focused uh, restaurant, you know, one that's not super family friendly. So a nice sit down restaurant, for example, um, call it a steakhouse. So many adults are just sitting at the table on their phones, not talking to each other. They're staring at their phones as well. And we've lost a lot of that camaraderie and that connection over sharing a meal together, over breaking bread. And I think your your the teenage girls are probably craving that in so many in so many ways because, you know, we communicate over technology now, not face to face so much. For, yeah. for a lot of places there's that still exists obviously but um, uh, I think that that's amazing that they that they ask for that now and that they want that because we're still humans we're still animals at the end of the day we're not yeah. you know we've not been bred to hold a phone or an iPad in our hands we're we have mouths and ears and um, you know feelings and energy and we're, we're still meant to have that that face-to-face and that human contact interaction so that's really good I think a lot of people can can probably integrate that back into their routines and their in their family lives yeah and it, you know certainly not without fault you know you find us occasionally doing that but I think overall it, there's certainly that that attempt to do you know to have that connection um, because it is really important and I think I think we've even learned as a family that when we sit down and talk about things that all the other times that we were connected on that connected truly you know electronics connected mm-hmm. um, we've missed that connection with each other so it's it kind of allows us to reset and regroup absolutely uh, yeah yeah just to just to experience um, I mean that's why we that's why we travel right that's why travel exists to experience something in person. We can look at pictures on the internet, but that's not the same as experiencing something, the depth of it in person. And I think that's the same as human interaction. Like, you know, technology is amazing. It's allowing us to do this podcast together. You know, I'm in Texas, you're in Minnesota, but um, it's not the same as, you know, if we had the resources to say, do it in person. No, it doesn't right. like have that that same level of like cohesiveness and, and all the other factors. So, um, simply having dinner with your kids—that's something that they'll probably take away from that as they grew up and do with their own families one day. So, um, I just think that that simple thing is so commendable. Thank you. How do you guys do it? How do you do meals? Yeah, so that's, um, again, that was one of the things that I had to unlearn um, because I had this notion coming into this relationship. Uh, and we only met last December, so we're, we're less than a year into it. Um, but uh, it moved very fast. You know, it, things were, were obvious, like, you know, we were, we were in this together um, from the start. And so I jumped straight into the parenting role um, very quickly, very early on. And, you know, I had all of these notions of, well, this is how I was raised. And these are the things that I think worked well for me. And these were the things that my parents did well. So these are the things that I want to do as well. So I remember like having dinner together every night um, growing up with my parents before they divorced. And that was something that 
I look back fondly on. So that's something that I wanted to incorporate into my family when I became a parent. I didn't know if that would ever happen. Um, so I didn't have kids of my own. And so when I met them, I, I was really excited to do all these things. And I kind of came into, into it with a naivety of that. Um, but the reality is um, he doesn't want to eat when when we're hungry. And, I, you know, we had to pick my battles. And so, uh, and he doesn't like to eat the things that, that we do. So um, not only is he a, a nine-year-old kid, he's also um, has autism. And so uh, kids with autism are extremely picky eaters, more so than, than uh, neurotypical children. So it, um, it was really hard for me to adjust my expectations for that because yeah. I wanted him to do things the way that we did when Tosca and I were raised. She was um, raised very similarly. You know, you eat what you're what you're prepared, and so um, I just kind of let it go. I didn't want to have a fight. I didn't want to make eating be a source of um, of stress for any of us. And so he eats when he's hungry. It's usually a little bit later at night. Um, because of the medication that he's on and so um, you know when we go out to restaurants then um, that's that's a little bit different we're there to eat um, if you know depending on the kind of the mood and the situation the behaviors of the day he can have technology um, before the food arrives and after but um, I'm pretty I'm pretty diligent about uh, no technology while we're eating at least Tosca is a bit more lenient on that um, just because she's been doing this quite a bit longer. I'm still pretty new into it. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's funny to see our dynamics, but, um, so I've had to, I've had to kind of let go of my expectations of that and, and blend into his needs for who he is and how his body, um, needs things when it needs things. You know, you bring up a good point. I think, um, one of the things is the the girls have requested these family times that we've done um, and that we've learned that uh, especially the youngest would like to have dinner together when she would like to have dinner together so our our meals are I don't want to say they're not necessarily not scheduled but we've gotten to a point now where if we ask multiple days in a row about having family dinner and there's no positive response that will, you know, reinforce the, the family theme. And if she's not hungry, she can sit with us. Um, but no, no technology, and but we still get that time together. Certainly, um, you know, she can sit and hang out, and we'll do our time together. And when dinner's done, she's excused, um, and we'll go about our way. But you know. Like you've mentioned, you know, trying to pick our battles and still reinforce some of the good that we want to come from, you know, our time together because pretty soon the girls will be gone as well and it'll just be me and my husband. Yeah. Um, assuming that the kids don't move back in again. <laughs> <laughs> and your dog. And the dog. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's... um. We go to this one particular uh, restaurant that Trevor enjoys, and they have the uh, the screens directly on the table uh, 
where you can play games and and stuff like that and i both love the place because he enjoys it and uh, you know the food is is pretty good but i also look at that and just think why did they do this you know like <laughs> why did they put this it's like having a candy bowl out a bowl of suckers or something like why did why put that temptation there? and um and you know when i look around at all the other tables there's parents and then you know they they might be on their phone or talking or whatever and then the, most of the kids are on this this screen device and it just drives me bananas inside my head but mm-hmm. you know it's 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 how we live and and so we can't deny the existence of it um we can't deny i guess some parents can if they're pretty extreme but we can't deny our kids technology because it's integrated into our entire lives from here on out yeah. and so to deny them that altogether would be to in my opinion would be to deny them of some developmental things in education but um, I think just like with anything there's there's a harmony and a balance that that comes mm-hmm. into it you know as long as he can is he still progressing um, socially and all of these things then I think it's okay um, you know to some degree um, but if it comes to a point where he doesn't want to have a conversation face to face because he would rather be on his phone then or he can't have a conversation then um, to me that requires like an intervention and some bit something a bit more extreme so I think it's um, I think it's something that a lot of people are still learning to navigate and it's a major topic of parenting um, just because it's so ingrained in society now yeah it it does make it it does make it very challenging yeah what was something that um knowing what you know now uh coming into uh, or creating a blended family um what was something that you learned that you would have done differently um i would i would say probably being more pointed about the um how we were going to do things together and that being really parent um, because it, I've learned as a step parent while it might be our house um, there's still so much only so much that I can do and um, it took us a really long time to become one unit if you will it was almost as if we had two separate households under one roof. Mm-hmm. And I think the, the dialogue and the questions that were prior to, that happened prior to us living together weren't probably as um, pointed as they could have been. I think um, part of that for us comes from the fact that we knew each other before mm-hmm. um, we, we started dating. Uh, we had a mutual friend kind of group of people that we spent time with. And I actually um, was in a unique situation that I knew him and his wife before we dated. So I knew the kids, um, they were in the same school district as mine were at the time. So I think there was a lot more um, blind faith, if you will, sure. in, in understanding a little bit of how we interacted. Um, but we weren't as um, 
pointed about the the questions, kind of the what if scenarios. So I think I would be, you know, if as I as I tell my husband, if something were to happen to him, I don't think I would ever remarry. But if I were ever to be involved again at a, at a different time, or if I were to do things differently, it would be more pointed um, sure. conversations, and not to create you know negative scenarios, but at least to have an understanding of how we think we might do things a little differently versus just going and assuming mm-hmm. that we would do them differently and together. Certainly. Are there any resources either that you have created yourself, written or otherwise, or um, resources that you have found along your way, books, blogs, podcasts, etc., that you could share with um with these scenarios so how to parent what questions to ask uh, how to deal with certain situations both with with kids and your spouse you know uh, there's a whole litany of books that i read um but i i have to admit and i think this is why this is one of the reasons that i kind of started on this this parenting that really in, in the focus of being a parenting coach what the books say just does not describe sometimes what you need to do to get through even 10 minutes. Um, it, they're so educational and professional focused. It, it, it so A lot of it becomes belittling. So I, I actually have really focused um, my social media presence and my blog presence on writing about real life. Um, how to do it differently, what I've learned. Um, so I, while I could talk about educational books all day long, um, and this is not to, you know, tout my own horn, but I think there are a lot more, um, uh, there's a lot more present social media, um, not only with my own, um, but there's a woman that I follow. Um, she's, it's called the, um, I think it's called um, NYAM and she's on Instagram and it's really about um, the, what she calls the woman behind the mom you know what does real life look like mm-hmm. um, how are we all in essence in this together um, as well as you know what are our own self that we have to overcome Let's see. And then myself, I, I mean, I, I spend a fair amount of time um, on Instagram blogging about real life, um, what it looked like or what I thought it would look like and then what it really does look like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, the words uh, tactical parenting just came to mind when you were describing the book. So educational and, and kind of clinical, um, I'll categorize it versus like reality you know how do we get through the next five or ten minutes versus how do you you know handle this much larger and broader topic of situation so I think that's a definite need probably with most things um you know just help me get through the day essentially you know what that's actually a great way of describing it I'd never thought about it that that way before I I know I was immersed in parenting books for so many years and they became really my source of truth mm-hmm. um, and then in those situations where you know you have a, a screaming kid 
in a sh- in a shopping mall. Mm-hmm. Um, even even the times that the books tell you you should do thing do something this way and not that way, or they tell you that um, what you've done is wrong and here's how to fix it. Mm-hmm. it. It certainly doesn't take you into that real life scenario. Yeah, uh, you have a screaming child <laughs> who's running away, yelling, "Not my parents!" And you're wondering. God, what the hell did I do? And how can I stop this kid? Or do, do I even go after him? <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very real. Uh, something I've learned, I guess a couple of things uh, as it relates to Trevor and uh, challenging, I'll call it challenging moments or challenging moods. He's either hungry and needs to eat because his blood sugar has dropped or um, he feels disconnected and lonely and he's seeking mm-hmm. attention. And, mm-hmm. you know, when he starts to act out, my first, my first reactions are to solve those two things. Um, he's, if he's, you know, I can, I've learned to understand when he's hungry, you know, and, and to make sure that he eats then. And then secondarily, if he starts acting a, a different sort of way, um, one of us will just hug him. And, you know, that he just feels disconnected and he's seeking attention. And some days it's hard to fit everything in that we need to because, you know, just work, school, uh, the demands of life, and then it's bedtime. Um, but other days we, we are able to make sure that he feels connected with and talked with and heard and understood um, and gets a lot of um, quality time. And, and those days go so much smoother than you know the days that are a bit busier and he goes to bed without really uh, feeling connected with at the end of the day with with one or both of us and you know those two things are so simple there are basic human needs uh, you know to you know uh, just to to eat (laughs) you know and he's a kid so he forgets you know he'll get so involved in playing or doing something that he forgets that he's hungry and then it, it like crosses this hump and then it's like an emergency situation where we have to feed him or all hell is going to break loose um, and so I think a lot of a lot of the, the struggles and the challenges and the problems could just be solved with simple things like that um, there was uh, somebody I know recently that went through a pretty scary health uh, issue and um, she was dehydrated, you know, so like water and, and, you know, making sure we eat and drink enough, I think is, is some of the most basic things we can do, but we forget to do them because all this other stuff comes on to play. And I think, you know, uh, kids, you know, they don't think about those things straight away or, or primarily. So we have to kind of take a step back and, and say, what do they need? And it's usually something very simple. You know, Beth, um, I have to admit, my 21-year-old will call me sometimes, and he'll just start talking, and I'll say to him, "Um, what have you done today? And he'll go on and kind of ramble in, you know, five different directions, and I'll say to him, have you had breakfast? (laughs) Have you you had water, a Gatorade? no did you take your meds yeah how are you feeling not so good well maybe you should stop for a minute and go get yourself something to eat and get yourself something to drink 
So while you don't want to parent your 21 year old, sometimes it actually helps to just have somebody else there to remind us, um, to remind us of what we, you know, should do for ourselves. Um, and, and how we need to, you know, sometimes take care of ourselves. And I don't think that's exclusive to, I think that's for all of us. Certainly friends, family, like, um, you know, my, my 80, uh, one-year-old grandmother still needs to be reminded to, to eat and drink because, you know, for whatever reason, we, we forget to do those things for ourselves. So I think that's, um, I think it's just taking care of one another parent relationships or, you know, otherwise like, you know, that's just simply loving another person and making sure that they get what they need, whether they know it or not. And, um, you know, I think, I think we can all do that for each other for sure. Yeah. What are, all right, two last questions. How can people find you online? Um, they can find me online. Uh, my website is the curiosity co.co and Instagram at the curiosity coach. Awesome. And last question, what do you want people to take away from interactions with you? (sighs) That they are genuine and real. I I am who I am and um, there's, I'm, I'm here for just about everybody. That you are. That's my experience with you as well. Thanks, Beth. Thank you so much for being on. Thanks, and I really appreciate this opportunity. It's been fun. Absolutely. It was nerve-wracking at first, but I really appreciate it. (laughs) It's not scary at all. It's just uh, (laughs) just simply having a conversation. It is. Thank you. All right. Thank you very much. This is the Live Good, Live Well podcast, episode five, and thank you for joining.